Everybody. Welcome to the August 14th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeZuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Aurora City Council proposal that would make it easier for developers to build condos without fear of being sued over construction defects. Pedica Hoon from Westward. Now, this has been, this has failed in the legislature a couple of times. Now cities are taking it up by themselves. Is this an effective way to do it? Well, in Aurora, it certainly will be an effective way to do it. I can't see that city council quibbling over passing something like this. In Denver, which is making some noise about doing the same, I think we'd have a much tougher time passing. But if the legislature is not going to do anything, certainly plenty of towns are going to take, take initiative themselves. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Opinion-wise, do you think this is the, the way it should be done? Should local control be reigning here where cities deem if they, they fix this kind of a problem? Or really, should it be a state law and the cities are cleaning up that mess? The ideal would be a, a state law, but that, that can't pass right now. So Aurora is doing the right thing to move forward. You know, Senator Jesse Ulibarri, very left-wing Democrat, uh, was the leader in construction the attempt to pass construction defects reform. In the, because he correctly says that for a lot of people, the condo, buying the condo is the first step you take from being in an apartment where you're paying rent to having your own place, building equity, you know, part of the American dream. There, there's so much talk these days about affordable housing. Well, that's what condos are. They are. That's housing that gets built, doesn't need to be subsidized by the taxpayers, that people can actually afford to live in. And having an out-of-control system where you, you're sort of certain that if you build a condo, you'll get sued, of course, devastates the construction of condos. So good, good for Aurora. Penn Tate, attorney with Greenberg Traurig, also a former state lawmaker. Do you think the legislature next session will take this as a cue of, hey, there's obviously some support for this, we should make it happen? Or will they take it as a way of saying, well, they're going to take care of themselves, we don't need to worry about it? I, th I think that they'll take it as a cue and pass some statewide legislation to preempt all of these cities, and for good measure. If you look behind what a number of these cities are doing and why there's problems getting this passed on a statewide level, number one, there's no assurance that if you modify construction defects that developers will feel, build affordable housing housing, they're going to build what makes the most money. Number two, you've got to question the policy on a statewide and local level if you're going to let insurance companies drive what sort of housing stock you get in your communities based on how they decide to underwrite construction of projects and, 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 and contractors anyway. So hopefully the state legislature will step in. There's a middle ground there in terms of modifying the law, protecting people's property rights and their investment in property but also ensuring you get the mix of housing that our communities so desperately need. Ed C. Lever, reporter of the Denver Business Journal, also our man on Capitol Hill. You've seen the fights. Uh, you've seen how the, the failures, too, to pass this bill at, at the Hill. Do you think there's momentum now to maybe see it happen since cities are taking it up themselves? Well, I mean, give the, the local authorities credit. They said, uh, as they went through this, knowing they were fighting a losing battle last year, they said, well, if the legislature won't do anything, we'll do it ourselves. And sure enough, they are doing it themselves. Uh, I don't think we're going to have enough time pass where the legislature can look at the effect of these laws yet. I mean, after these pass, you've still got to then go out and find developers who want to build, and those developers have to build uh, condos, and then they have to actually, you know, get sued to test out the, the merit 
merits of this law. Um, but I think it's what's really interesting to me is you've seen uh, Lakewood be the first city to do this. Well, Lakewood State Rep Max Tyler is the leading house opponent of construction defect reform. Now you're seeing Aurora do it, and Senator Morgan Carroll of Aurora basically single-handedly killed this bill in 2014. So the question has to be, Who's out of touch with the local population here? Are the city councils doing things their citizens don't want, or are the legislators not doing things their citizens want? I think maybe by the time the elections come around for municipal slots uh, later this year, we'll have some idea of that answer. And an EPA effort to examine the Gold King mine near Silverton ended up causing a massive spill over 3 million gallons of contaminated wastewater into the Animas River. The EPA is taking full responsibility for the spill, but claims the river water is already at pre-contamination levels. Attorneys general in three states are considering legal action. Patty, this was... Uh, amazing to watch because you saw this huge orange river and it's moving its way through uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah. Uh, but then just a few days later, you see Governor Hickenlooper drinking a swig from the river. It looks better. And the uh, same officials that take responsibility for the spill saying everything's fine. What do you make of what we know so far? Well, it was interesting because this was just beginning to flow last Friday when we were on the show and it was my disgrace of the week. And it's going to be a disgrace really of the year in so many ways. Uh, have to give credit to Hickenlooper, who knows how to get a photo op. Uh, the day he drinks bong water is when we'll know <laughs> that recreational marijuana is really accepted in this state. But you c it is tough to undo the publicity and the images you've seen. That yellow-orange river has been everywhere. If you saw Conan last night, you had extreme, you know, extreme rafting in Colorado with people in the middle of that sludge. I, you have to trust the state uh, board of health, I think, even if you don't trust the EPA, that if they've tested the river and the water is fine, if they say the water is safe to go in now, the water is going to be safe to go in now. The question is, what's at the bottom of the riverbed? Because what fell into the sediment from this moving pile of orange and yellow goo? Um, what the EPA did was awful. Their response was awful. Uh, on Tuesday when basically they had told Hickenlooper not to talk was really awful. I'm glad that the AGs are looking into the possibility of a lawsuit, although I don't think it's going to go too far. But um, the EPA has got to be careful. Of course, it's not the EPA's complete creation. This is a 150-year-old problem in Colorado. And those mines up there have had contamination for a long time. But it is clearly something we've got to keep our eye on because it's the toxic legacy of the mining boom, and it's going to continue for hundreds of years. David Petty, uh, related to that point about talking about there's other mines and this is a legacy, not just this one particular problem. And it seems that this one has a couple of different legal angles. I'm not a lawyer. We have two great lawyers in the show today to, to hash this out. But there's the mine it came from, but a lot of that water came from a mine next door, and then it was caused by actions by the EPA. Uh, is this a major lawsuit waiting to happen, or because the federal government's involved and take responsibility, is that going to shelve it? Could you imagine if it had been a private company that did the exact same thing, the official hate and hysteria that would be directed at that company would be just out of control. And of course, the White House would be leading uh, the mob on that. But when the Obama administration does it itself. Oh, it's like, no problem. Oops, sorry, let's, let's move on and, and talk about something else. Interestingly, just a, a few days before this, the EPA started pumping the water in, 
eventually leading to the disaster, there was a letter to the editor in one of the local papers there written by a career geologist who said this is going to increase the pollution coming out of there. And he, he said it'll happen within 7 to 120 days. It turned out to be on the, the lower side of the estimate. He didn't predict exactly how this was going to happen, but he predicted that what EPA was doing would, would make things worse. And accurately, in his view, was EPA's view was sort of the worse the better because they want to turn these mines into Superfund sites, which then becomes this huge EPA project. I've done Superfund law on the enforcement side. It, is it takes an incredibly long amount of time. It's a very expensive uh, process for everybody, and it is one of the least efficient ways to remediate an environmental problem. Ideally, the governor and the legislature might take action next year and say, okay, we, we can't count on EPA to fix things for us. Let's see if we can pass a mine cleanup, a better mine cleanup law that we can enforce in Colorado. And the fact is, if all the mine operators from 150 years ago aren't around to be sued, or you know, that's a worthwhile expenditure of taxpayer money for the common good uh, to clean up these sites which endanger everyone. Penn, uh, you're a great lawmaker. You were a great law. You you are a great lawyer. We're a great lawmaker. Uh, and if you were in a position to advise Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman on what to do next, what would you say? I think she's taking the correct course of action. I think you need to examine and weigh all the facts. Talk with the uh, attorneys general in in New Mexico and Utah as she's doing. Confer with them. Confer with CDPHE and the EPA because the reality is, EPA released. The, the mess, but they didn't necessarily put the mess in the mine or in the adjoining mine or in other mines. And Patty's right. This is a legacy of the state. Mining has been instrumental to the state of Colorado. You might say that in many instances, but for mining, there'd be no state of Colorado because that's what brought people here in large quantities. And so, and mining continues in this state. And we need to continue to have some sort of appropriate regulatory structure for mining so that it's safe for workers and for the environment and for the community, both in operation and in cleanup. And what this has shown is we've got some work to do in the cleanup phase of that. So Attorney General Kaufman needs to keep an eye on this. Frankly, La Plata County, Durango, Southern Ute Tribe, affected landowners, they all need to keep an eye on this because we don't know yet if anything has settled in the bottom of the riverbed. We'll find out. Some have said that with the, the, the snow we've had and the rain and the rivers running so quickly that there wasn't time for anything to settle, but you don't know. That testing's got to be done. So there's more work to be done, but I would, I, I disagree with David a little. I think the EPA is going to get a black eye on this one, but I also think we're going to potentially see some action against some of the private mine owners who were the subject of these efforts to try to clean up the mines they left behind. And beyond just the environmental disaster, which has been a, a big deal, we're talking about you know millions of times of heavy metals, things like that, there's a big economic factor here too, and a part of the state that frankly isn't suited well to take on a lot of economic abuse. Um, do you think there's going to be some ramifications in that side of the coin? Well, there has to be, and, and the EPA has come out and they've said, we are going to find a way to reimburse uh, businesses for a business they lost. I mean, but, but the question is going to be, how do you go about that? I mean, how long is the river going to be closed? I mean, some of these rafting businesses, 
businesses are not high profit businesses. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the, the longer that this is shut down, the more chances are that they're going to be out of business, not just losing business because of that. Uh, there's also the greater factor of what does this do for tourism in Colorado? I mean, clearly we are now, uh, you know, we've gone from being splashed across the nation for being the state where somebody shot 12 people in a movie theater, killed 12 and shot 70 others, uh, to now the state where our rivers look like uh, some kind of odd soup. And, and, and this is, it's, it reminds me of the wildfires of 2002. This is not going to do well as people are looking about where I want to go next summer. So I think this is going to have greater economic impact. I think the EPA had better come in and really at least find the direct link between business lost and their actions and make sure to reimburse that. But we've got to talk about something bigger to promote Colorado coming out of this. Without being able to reach a unanimous decision, the jury in the Aurora Theater shooting trial handed down a life sentence with no chance for parole last Friday. One victim's brother tweeted his support of the single juror that was against issuing a death sentence while suggesting that the $5 million spent on the case could have been spent on mental health in Colorado. Uh, David, this decision came out after we were t uh, taped last week, uh, 5 o'clock. I think uh, a lot of eyes were uh, looking at the TV screens, uh, Twitter feeds, whatever, you, uh, whatever have you. Um, there was shock. There was surprise. A lot of talk about, you know, with some of the death penalty in Colorado, talk about capital punishment. I don't know if we're still going to get there, but let's, let, let's stick with the um, decision. Were you surprised at how, the, how it came out? No, because you can you can certainly understand the case of the viewpoint of that one juror, and there were actually two others who were undecided to say, of, of course, it's it's an extremely heinous crime with great great premeditation, but this is the phase where the community decides, uh, and the jurors are asked to to make their own judgment. They're not just finding facts as they did before, and you can say, well, if it weren't for the mental illness, which is unquestionably there, then he wouldn't have perpetrated that crime, and so we choose not to impose the death penalty. I think if I'd been on the jury, I would have voted the other way. I was, I was rooting for capital punishment, um, but I also respect the process and the system. And I'm, the, the prosecuting team and the defense team both did an outstanding job, and this is an example of the system working. It would have been wrong to take away in a state which has chosen to have capital punishment, to take that decision away and just do a plea bargain at the beginning. What we had was the, the way it's supposed to work, where the community represented by the jurors made the decision. And you can agree or disagree with that decision. Maybe in this conversation we're supposed to have about the death penalty, uh, maybe there's some discussion about whether that final phase has to be a unanimous decision or, or not. Uh, but I, I'd say kudos to all those around. And also, for that, that one relative you mentioned, that certainly wasn't representative of the large majority of the victims' families, it seemed. It seemed they were uh, understandably uh, saddened that this guy gets to spend the rest of his life contemplating his theory about how he added value to himself uh, by murdering other people. Penn, I, I tend to agree on the point that uh, I don't think Brockler should be um, uh, criticized for pursuing the death penalty sentence because I think some people look at this, oh, there's uh, this many millions of dollars spent on the case, you should take the plea bargain. But he really was representing the community. I remember Scott Robinson talking about that as some analysis right when the decision came down. It's, uh, if the community is going that way, a district attorney would have that duty to go forward. What did you think of that decision and uh, from the case? 
Let me begin by first congratulating and thanking the jury, because one thing about our system of jurisprudence, being tried by a jury of your peers, they did their job, they did it well, um, and they should be commended and thanked for all of the hours they spent and devoted to this case. Um, when it comes to George Brockler, I disagree. I, I think, you know, the idea is when you're an elected official, you're to serve and represent, but you're also supposed to use your best judgment based on the facts and the information available to you. And I will submit, and I don't disagree with the anguish in the community. I, I, you know, I anguish over it. Um, I'm angry over what this man did. There's, and, and I agree with the jury. There's no question as to his guilt. There's no question as to his mental culpability. We all agree on that. He's guilty. The only question is what's the appropriate punishment. And I think the, the, the DA there probably had a pretty good sense, based on the broader community conversation, that I think the majority of Coloradans don't favor the death penalty by and large. And I think that he could have considered doing the plea bargain, saving the time, the expense, the media circus. I think the one relative of the one victim had a good point. I know that not all of the relatives of all of the victims share that point of view, but I think the elected DA had an additional responsibility. You know, it, when you look at the General Assembly when you're in the legislature, your job is not just take a poll of your neighbors and do whatever they tell you to do. Your job is to assess the legislation in light of the facts and the information made available to you as the representative of your district. The DA serves in a representative capacity also. Ed, do you think what the, the criticism that George Brockler is getting from one end or the other, support or criticism, is going to impact future DAs thinking about if they should pursue a death penalty? I think the criticism that George Brockler is getting is a little bit unique in some ways because he's not just the DA who is prosecuting this case. He is a DA viewed as a rising star in a party looking for someone to take over a major run soon. Like, say, you know, his name had been kicked around, and I've done it here at this table, for the 2016 Senate seat. So I think you have to take some of the response in that vein, that people are going to go after Brockler harder because this is their chance to knock him down, not just for this decision, but uh, in, in future political atmospheres. Um, you know, Penn makes a good point about the Colorado and where it stands on the death penalty, um, but I have to say that that's not Brockler's conversation as the DA. If it is time, and, and maybe it is time, we have that bigger conversation about whether we should outlaw the death penalty, that is the legislature's duty. That's the governor's duty. That's not the DA considering in a single case whether to go after the death penalty. Um, I think this will have an impact, this in the next case that we're about to talk about, on, on how Coloradans feel about the death penalty. Um, but I, I think the way that Brockler is getting beaten by some is, is being colored by his political ambitions a bit. Pay, it seems the whole idea of where Coloradans stand on the death penalty is kind of... of of argument. I mean, I, Penn, I get your point about maybe uh, Coloradans are against it, but I know there's been some polls that say that they actually are still for it. Um, what do you think, we're, where do you think we're at right now in the conversation? We're not having the conversation is the biggest problem, but we will. Uh, I think in this case, we have to give kudos to everyone who was involved, especially the jury, but the judge, the court, it ran as smoothly as it possibly could, I think, in a situation so horrific. I think in general the coverage has been fair, even-handed. 
Yeah, Brockler put himself out there, so that there's some criticism of him is not a surprise. But that the jurors are not piling on each other, that they're saying one was adamantly against it, other, two others were wavering, they're not criticizing them. It just is an extraordinarily great portrait of humans who came together and the justice system worked in some ways. And thankfully, we will not be hearing appeals of a death sentence for James Holmes for the next 20 years. That's the good news that came out of this. It's true. The Pharaoh's Bar trial is entering the second phase of penalty sentencing this week. The defendant was found guilty of first-degree murder of five people, and the prosecution is seeking the death penalty. If sentenced to death, Dexter Lewis will join three other black men on Colorado's death row. Penn, uh, now, first of all, I understand that the cases are completely different. The, the every, from whoever is on death row right now to what we just talked about with the Aurora Theater shooting and this particular crime. But... The fact is, if Dexter Lewis is um, given the death penalty for a heinous crime that he's been found guilty of, killing five people in a terrible fashion, um, he will be one of four black men, the only people on Colorado's death row. Where does that fit into everything we've been talking about? It's a key part of the, the, the broader conversation, both locally and nationally. Um, first, let, let's be clear about the similarities between this case and the Aurora Theater shooting. Both defendants were guilty. Both of them were guilty of horrible, despicable acts against a bunch of innocent people. That much is clear, and the jurors didn't take long in either case to find each defendant guilty. The question is, what's the consequence? One of the issues, and part of this conversation Patty talked about we need to have at some point, is the fact that statistics show that the death penalty is disproportionately applied to people of color, particularly African-American men. I will be stunned if a Denver jury gives hands down the death penalty in this case, given that what I would consider a more conservative jury in Arapahoe County did not under the facts and circumstances of that case. But it's going to be part of the conversation. Clearly, this guy's guilty. He needs to be punished. Um, and, I, and I'm not beating up on George Brockler because I also question Mitch Morrissey's decision to seek the death penalty when there was an opportunity to do a plea bargain here just as well and end this uh, early on at the front end. Uh, there are times when... You know, you, you sort of need a way to purge your spirit of some of the things that bother you. And sometimes I think these trials have the benefit of doing that for the community. But at the end of the day, you may, you may look back and ask yourself, did we really need to go through that experience if we would have gotten to the same point much less expensively and much more quickly and allow the healing to begin sooner, sooner rather than later? And it seems lawmakers have been reluctant to tackle this issue from one way or the other. Do you think the cases that we're seeing now here in the summer of 2015 will increase motivation to tackle this? It's hard to say, and it's a really tricky subject because one of the three men sitting on death row in Colorado killed a lawmaker's son. Uh, it's always important to remember, Rhonda Fields has a very personal stake. She wrote, she got into politics after the killing of her son, um, and, and she has been very adamantly against many people in her own party who want to do away with the death penalty. And, it, you know, I, I think it's, it's an issue that even in... Uh, 
Democratic circles on the Capitol is hard to cross because now you are personally affecting one of your cohorts if you vote uh, one way or another, and you can't say that about a lot of votes there. Uh, look, it's never an easy subject to bring up. I don't think the subject will come up in 2016, which is an election year. I think, if anything, it may come back up in, in 2017. Um, but Penn makes a, a great point about the fact that if this goes to a death penalty conviction, there will be four black men and no white men on, uh, on death row in Colorado. But it's also interesting to note, and this is just what I alluded to, that one of those black men who is on death row is on there for killing two black people. So it's not like Colorado juries are sentencing only black people who are killing white people. It, that's what makes it such a tough thing to look at in the aggregate. I mean, if they vote for the death penalty, I mean, is there, there doesn't seem to be as much mitigating mental health circumstances here. What does that mean to it? And the fact that this is 12 jurors who are different than those 12 jurors. Again, I think this is why we need to have a greater conversation rather than draw conclusions from two cases that are being decided within weeks of each other. Patty, running short on time, your thoughts? I think we will not get the death penalty decision here because it's Denver. And because it is, no matter what color I think the defendant was, it won't happen in Denver, but the conversation is going to continue. David, your thoughts? D.A. Morrissey did the right thing in, in bringing this case and seeking capital punishment. It's a crime that absolutely merits it. The people of Denver can make the decision. It, it is rare for Denver DAs to bring capital charges, uh, but this is one of those unusual cases where the crime was so extreme that it was the right decision to, to give the community the, the choice. Well, it's our favorite part of the show. Let's do it quickly. Disgrace of the Week. Patty? Uh, the 16th Street Mall, which celebrated its 30th birthday recently, they're doing some reconfiguring, looking to revision what we do, which includes maybe moving the buses, an idea that I think is kind of stupid, but there's no denying we need more police presence down there. We need to deal with the issues of the homeless, the mall rats, and witness the near riot that broke out last night that wound up with two people in the hospital after some of the teenagers attacked diners. David. On the day that the embassy in Cuba opens, more Cubans than ever are in jail and prison for speaking out and exercising the right of freedom of speech. President Obama is, when dealing with tyrants, a terrible negotiator and has left the free people of Cuba, the people who want to be free, worse off than ever before. Penn. I agree with Patty. I think the riot or the, 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 the disturbance on the 16th Street Mall just points out how desperately in need uh, of a, a, a do-over the mall requires. And given its, its role in the heart of a really vibrant city that is, by all accounts, is just exploding in terms of growth and development and wealth and prosperity, it's really disappointing. If, if we can do bond deals for the National Western Stock Show and a number of other places, why can't we fix the heart of downtown? Ed. Imagine the furor that rightly would have erupted had Mitt Romney sued in 2012 to stop campaign opponents from releasing video of the speech in which he made his 47% remarks. Yet the same brand of liberal activists who cheered that video's release are now suing and launching politically motivated investigations against the Center for Medical Progress for their undercover videos of Planned Parenthood officials talking about bartering fetal body parts. Folks, quashing free speech is wrong, no matter who tries to do it. And frankly, if you don't like what Planned Parenthood said in those videos, maybe we should be talking about what they said, not who recorded them. We have to do season the nice very quickly. Patty. Southwestern Colorado, the tourism groups, the towns that are losing business, the states downstream from them, let's hope people remember to come to Colorado. 
George Gwazdecki, former national champion hockey coach at Denver University, is now going to uh, head the hockey program at Valor Christian High School. Penn. Sam Lovett, not an elected official, not a well-known public official, but the unofficial mayor of Ash Street who passed away a few days ago. Pollsters are showing Donald Trump losing support after last week's debate. So, hey, let's give the American voters some credit. <laughs> I'd like to jump on that train. <laughs> That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online. And be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.